Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. On this third Sunday of Advent, we, we rem- are reminded that joy comes from trusting in God. And we believe that the hope that we find in God would overflow in joy in our everyday lives. And so our third candle is lit, lit, for, this, lit for us this morning. Well, the candles are beautiful symbols of the truth of the arrival of Jesus. A story of, of hope, peace, and joy. And on this third Sunday, I think we're reminded that living in the story of Jesus, we are welcomed into a life of joy. And we say these things up front. And we want you to know that is the hope, that is the promise, that is the invitation of an Advent season. But the question we're consistently faced with, whether we're talking about hope, peace, love, and joy, is how do we live in to that reality in the midst of chaos and pain? What habits of daily life might facilitate a feeling of joy, reflection, praise, practicing the presence of God, forgiveness, hospitality, having some fun? All of these things can help shape joy in our lives. And joy is meant to be foundational for us to flourish. As individuals, as communities, as, as humanity, joy is not just a good idea. Joy is central. And yet, I would say that our everyday reality seems to resist the definition of joy that we long for. For Jesus, joy is meant to accompany us in this in-between, in this season of waiting. When we talk about joy in the church, there's the common refrain that would have us liken or consider what happiness is in consideration of joy. Frederick Beekner names that happiness is one of the highest achievements of which we are capable And when it's ours, we take credit for it, and properly so. But we never take credit for our moments of joy because we know that they're not man-made. In many ways, they happen to us. Happiness is is fleeting. Joy is lasting. Happiness is is often very individual, while joy is, is spiritual. Happiness is gratification of what we want. Joy is a fulfillment of what we need. Joy is simply different, and this, this distinction is important as we talk about it this morning. Henry Nouwen writes that joy is not the same as happiness. We can be unhappy about many things, but joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. Yet, I would say that the pursuit of happiness seems far more achievable, far more attainable, far more tangible than this idea of joy. The discovery of joy seems far more out of our control. And I find myself in a familiar place that I think to myself, well, if, as long as I can achieve happiness, then maybe joy will eventually catch on up with me. Happiness is good. This is not meant to demean moments of happiness or these moments that we pursue happiness. But joy is an invitation from God. So therefore, we believe that joy is 
beyond what we can do for ourselves. And we're not meant to just leave it there. All the self-proclaimed realists in the room are, are going, okay, well, here's the optimist, optimist again. We're talking about joy. We're talking about happiness. Talking about how we need to be joyful. Let me say this then. We may be more familiar with happiness than joy, but we are most certainly more familiar with sorrow than any of it. The conflict between sorrow and joy lives within us all. In Disney's 2015 movie, Inside Out, there is a message of the need for both joy and sadness in our lives for a healthy state of mind. You can browse article upon article upon article from therapists, psychologists, counselors about how essential it is to have an element of sadness. It's, it's needed for empathy and compassion and how it helps us actually take a moment to reflect on the events of our lives and the anecdotal evidence of my life would seem to correspond with their, their idea. That often when I do have a sense of sadness or, or sorrow, I can be more reflective. I can look around and try to take it a, a, a gauge of what's taking place in my life. Many of these individuals, they actually laud the movie for making sadness the hero along with joy. What's interesting is this. Sadness and sorrow are normalized as avenues of joy. And like I said, it can feel anecdotally accurate. But I would contend that the trap that we have fallen into is somehow that sorrow is the end point of our emotional reality rather than joy. We are actually more suspicious of joy. The world feels too bleak to be joyful. Life is too hard to actually have joy. Too much of what is wrong occupies our vision so joy can't seem to make its way through. And if you do have a sense of joy or even just baseline optimism, often you can be criticized while you're not paying attention. You're not actually seeing what's going on around you. You're simply ignorant. We, we, we are more familiar with sorrow and sadness than we are with joy. And so an invitation like joy that comes in the Advent season from Jesus seems to be a nice feeling for us to have in church in a moment. But when I go back to my reality, when I go back to what's going on in my day to day, sorrow is the more familiar bedfellow. Sorrow is what I feel more comfortable with, more familiar with, more seen by. Joy does not seem to fit within our paradigm for living. Not naming sorrow as the end point is part of our journey to actually receiving the joy that God has for us. And joy that's not just a nice moment, but a joy that's central. In John chapter 15 verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so 
have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. He's operating out of obedience. He's telling his disciples this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. To say that your joy may be complete is to say, I see that your joy is incomplete. I see that your joy is lacking. It's got some holes in it. It's, it's not what it should be and what I intend it to be. God reveals his love to us so that his joy may be complete in us. That his joy may become ours and that our joy may be complete. Jesus is speaking of joy. And where is he speaking of this? In John chapter 15, this is his final conversation with his disciples before going to the cross. It extends into chapter 16 as well. We'll spend some time reading that. But in the final conversation with a meal with his disciples, he speaks of many things. But the thing that he is saying, I want to be complete, is joy. So if Jesus is saying, I want your joy to complete, be complete, then this is something for us to receive. He doesn't end it in John chapter 15. In John 16, Jesus says to them, and this is our reading for this morning. In a little while, you will see me no more. Then after a little while, while you will see me. At this point, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. And Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will meet, weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Joy matters to Jesus. Grief might be the reality of your moment, but it is not the desire of his heart. You have seen the world as it is, but I've come to make it as it should be. He's saying that there's a new story being written. One in which grief and sorrow don't get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. Joy gets the last word. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. In order to understand the joy of God, we need squarely in the face of the sorrow of our humanity. We need to be honest about the sorrow. And then open to the joy. So we're going to consider some different ideas around sorrow. But I want to ask the question this morning. When we look at the person of Jesus and we look at ourselves. How has the story changed? And how does my story change with the inclusion and receiving of joy? 
The scriptures name the source of death to be sin. For the wages of sin is death. We can articulate sin as that which separates us from God. Action, intention, motivation. It's why even uh, objectively, when we consider something that is good and it becomes our ultimate thing, it can become a bad thing. It's something that creates separation. In our scripture from Revelation, if death is no more, then sin is no more. And if death is equated with sorrow, then sin is the source of sorrow. Our sorrow isn't a bad perspective. Our sorrow isn't just a string of bad luck. Our sorrow isn't an absence of optimism. Our sorrow problem is a sin problem. So when Jesus speaks of the joy that he desires to complete within us, he doesn't work at the surface, he goes to the source. He doesn't stay with niceties from a distance. He doesn't stay aloof and, and far away. He gets into the nitty-gritty, the thick of it, and he wants to get to the source of sin that is leading to sorrow within the creation that he loves. This is how the story changes. Within the biblical narrative, there is a contrasting picture laid out between the Jesus of the Gospels and Adam within the creation story. Perhaps you remember back in June, if you were with us, we were looking at Genesis 1 through 3, and we were considering that it's not simply this idea that has an archaeological time limit to it, or it's meant to be a scientific or order by which all things came into being, but it's more about, it's centered around this idea of who is God and who are we to him? Where is his loved, his children, his called, his commissioned? And upon receiving the commission, the Adam, the, the, the man that was there, heard the commission, was made in the image of God, was blessed with an abundance. And despite being granted so much and given a commission to rule over all things, we know that rather than fulfilling the vocation and the purpose and the plan set before him, Adam fell short. He, didn't, he became subject to creation rather than ruling it. And doing that, he experienced sin. He experienced separation from God. And our sorrow problem is a sin. And sin is separation. Therefore, what is sorrow if not separation? And I think we can, we can look at our own lives and think about that. Separation from a person from a hope, from a dream, from an expectation, from a place. Sorrow is separation. When have you experienced the weight of sorrow? And when, when you can maybe look at that, I think what you will find is a gap. When, when I lost my, my grandfather, I guess it's almost five years now. It's almost like this gap opens up. 
And there's, there's many a reason to celebrate a life well lived. But in the midst of sorrow, there is separation. There's a grief that comes in because of the separation that breaks out. And so to see the sorrow for what sorrow is as separation, as sin. God had to do more than sit in the distance and think nice thoughts and hope for good new beginnings. He had to enter in, bridge the gap. A theological idea called recapitulation is where Christ is retraced in the steps and the people of the Old Testament. And when we look at the story of Adam within the New Testament, there is language that's given to us that Jesus is not simply, we've talked about it, the king of kings. He's not simply the, high, the royal high priest, but he is the new Adam. He's the one that has come to enter into the brokenness of humanity and where failure has come time and time again, Jesus is the one who makes it right. He enters into the sorrow and makes the gap bridged. As humanity's representative, Christ's experience of life undoes the consequences of our rebellion. The way of reading the Bible was inspired, this way of reading the Bible was inspired by Paul who described Jesus as the new Adam in Romans to the Corinthian church, to the, the Ephesians church, Ephesus church. Jesus' advent is a new beginning for humanity to fix our mistakes and change the end of the story. When Christ became incarnate, when God became man, he entered into the sorrow of humanity. And there's scripture after scripture, often read around the Easter season, that speaks of being well acquainted with our grief. Being well acquainted to, to know of our weakness. To enter into humanity and to see the, the reality of what it is, but to not leave us simply in that space of sorrow, but to overcome it. Not with, with just a well thought out word, but with the overcoming of sorrow itself, with the overcoming of sin. Where the actions of humanity reflected in Adam are selfish and they cause separation. The actions of Jesus are selfless and they provide, the, they provide real reconciliation. And reconciliation is the bridging of the gap. It's the bridging of the creator and his creation. Restoring that which is wrong to make it right. Jesus is the new Adam and the story has changed. Why does this matter for us? I need to know the story of sorrow doesn't get the final word. I need to know that Jesus' words on the cross where he says it is finished. Is saying that sorrow is finished. Grief is finished. Tears are finished. Not to say we don't experience that in the world today, but that isn't the ultimate vision of reality that he has for us. I need that hope. I need that possibility because in that possibility, joy breaks in. Joy about the possibility of who God is within this moment of sorrow. For some of us this morning, 
We need to realize that God is not the source of your sorrow. Sometimes our explaining away of hard moments in life is to make God somehow this version of someone testing us or judging us simply to help us grow. We want to make sense of a difficult situation. What we see in the Bible, though, is that the brokenness of the world, that the, the impact of sin is all the, the heartache, the grief that we see around us. But what does God do? Who is God in the midst of it? Well, God is what Paul writes in Romans 8.28. We know that in all things, God works it for good for those who love him. What does this mean? It means that every piece of brokenness, every moment of grief is not caused by God. Because he is not the source of our sorrow. He is the source of our joy. But he is able and willing to enter into the sorrow and provide the healing that we need to use that which is broken for good. That is the picture of a good God that we're invited to receive. In the beautifully written words of vision from the Marvel series WandaVision. What is grief if not love persevering? But might I add, what is, not, what is joy if not love healing? Sorrow is separation. Joy is reconciliation. The second idea of sorrow I want to explore is how sorrow isn't spiritual. Maybe it's too much of a black and white statement. But I think we have fallen into this category of spiritualizing our sorrow. There has been an inclination throughout modern history, throughout the history of Christianity, to elevate sorrow as a practice of faith. Lingering in our pain in some kind of self-flagellation as our final destination. Yet such a practice is often a form of self-harm driven by guilt, shame, fear, or pain rather than hope, love, or joy. Don't get me twisted. Real emotions matter. Seeing them, naming them, experience them for what they really are. But the frailty of our humanity is not designed to exist in the space of sorrow for long. We have spiritualized sorrow to the point that we have seen the words Jesus wept and made it into our spiritual practice. And we have replaced those words for his invitation of joy being made complete in us. He weeps with us. But he makes his joy complete in us. There's a difference. He is not abstaining from being present in the midst of reality. He actually enters into it. And his longing is that with his presence in the midst of the sorrow, it might be turned into joy. Don't make sorrow your final destination. 
it is not what he'd intended for you? Have you spiritualized your sorrow? Maybe you've painted pain, frustration, shame, or guilt with the spiritual brush to simply linger there. And it's this version of self-harm. You feel like you've done something and you need to, to grieve it. And there are seasons in which that is responsible and healthy. But to stay in it forever is not the intention of a gracious God. Perhaps, perhaps your joy is fleeting because you have made sorrow far too familiar. I believe when we hear the words of Jesus, if he's saying he wants to make it complete in us, joy is meant to be the familiar friend that sorrow has seemingly become. He's saying, my joy is made for you. Do, can you even hear that and possibly believe it? The joy of heaven is designed for you. Where you are, what you're experiencing, who you have been and who you are, who you're planning to be, all of it. His joy is for you. When we have experienced joy, we have known him. And I think when we spiritualize our sorrow, what we do is we block ourselves from walking into true joy. Sorrow is often a path on which we must walk to discover the joy that is waiting for us. But when we spiritualize it, we place our sorrow in a box that we sit in rather than walk through to get to the joy that God desires, desires for us. John 15 verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Like I said, this isn't a diminishment of sorrow, but a reminder that it's not the end. Hebrews 2 verse 9 says, But we see him for who... See him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so by, that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. That is to say, Jesus has experienced the fullness of our sorrow, tasted death itself, so that we don't have to stay within it. And we have to make a choice to do that. Easier said than done. I hear that. But the invitation is that sorrow doesn't get the final word. And the final idea is that sorrow needs a savior. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. Joy is not simply a sense of optimism that creeps up, to, creeps up to us because we got a little more sleep on a Saturday morning. Joy is the response of our, pre, of our spirit to the presence of God. This is why the incarnation matters. For Jesus was the perfect mediator and was the incarnation between a union between God 
and man. Notice, it's not God and an angel. It's not God and some brutish creature like an elephant or a chimpanzee. The, re- the, the union is God and man because the reconciliation, the bridging of the gap, the salvation that is needed for the joy that is set before him, for the joy that was made complete in us, all of that is required between a creator and his creation. And this is between God and humanity. Jesus assumes the office of this new Adam, this one, this being who fulfills all that we were unable to fulfill. Romans gives this contrast between the original Adam and Jesus as the second Adam. Paul says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, as in Adam, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous, pointing to Jesus. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he writes these words, that the first Adam, first man Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Do you hear the invitation? That with the arrival of Jesus, with the changing of the narrative, with the changing of the story, with the final word, not ending in sorrow or sin or pain, but with Jesus, with hope, with joy, the promises of God that are found in Jesus are the promises for you. That the joy he experienced in relationship with the Father, the love that he found, the peace that he found, the joy that was birthed out of that relationship is a relationship that God wants for you. Sorrow doesn't get the final word because sorrow has a Savior. Sorrow needs a Savior. Joy comes when God breaks in. This is what Isaiah is saying. This is what Paul is saying. And God broke into humanity in the lowly version of a baby. As an unregistered immigrant in a foreign country. As a boy in an undescript town not seeking any pomp or circumstance. As as one who enters into ministry with humility, with kindness, and with generosity. Absorbing what it is to be truly human and then generously giving himself to the cross. And then on the third day rising again so that you and I might rise again. I want you to hear that story of life not just for the eternity to come but in your story right now. Because sorrow feels like death. Sorrow feels like the end. Sorrow overwhelms our hearts to the point where despair feels like our only place that we can go where we're truly honest with ourselves. And because sorrow is separation, then we spiritualize it and no wonder we need a savior. We don't dig ourselves out of our own sorrow, we are saved from it because at the source of our sorrow, it's a sin problem. Jesus, he experienced the moral struggle that each of us faces to remain obedient. He is the new Adam. There's so many beautiful pictures that we could spend weeks talking about. 
but humanity fell beside a tree and then was redeemed by one. Adam and Eve are created on the sixth day and Jesus died on the sixth day in inviting a new creation. The crucifixion was this moment of reconciliation. And while in Adam, humanity is frustrated by sin and death, in Jesus, humanity is redeemed with life and with hope. True joy is ultimately born of and from salvation. And salvation is God stepping into our reality, changing it, breathing fresh life into it. And making that which is dead or feels dead alive again. So perhaps you're here this morning and you are constantly in the state of grief over something you believe dead. You've actually accommodated your day to day to just have that reality walking beside you. And we're carrying this sorrow. Jesus is saying to you this morning, I wish to make your joy complete. Perhaps you've had tastes of it. And it surprises you. And you almost think to yourself, I, I'm undeserving of this. Sin does not get the final word. Sorrow does not get the final word. Jesus does. And the final word of Jesus is that you are set free you are forgiven you are healed and his joy he wishes to make it complete in you worship team you can join me at the front martin luther had a lifelong struggle with depression but he said this about the devil he said the devil cannot stand gaiety cannot stand joy I want you to, to, to realize this. Joy is not an annoyance to the enemy. Joy is the thing that the enemy fears. Because joy is the overcoming of sin. That Jesus wishes for you is the sound of defeat in the ears of the enemy. Revelation 21 verse 3 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. And it leads into verse 4 where it says, well, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Sorrow will be gone. And if sorrow is gone, we don't find emptiness in that space. We find that joy has filled it. His full presence, the full presence of our Savior will be the reason why there will be no more sorrow. God with his people. And we don't have to wait for that day to ha have an experience of that right now. In these verses, we see that perfect joy is sustained because we are in relationship with God. If you're searching for joy this morning... This is not to banish away sorrow, but to invite Jesus in. Jesus is the one that brings light into the darkness. We got to start, we got to stop trying to manufacture our own light sources. 
the ways in which we think the darkness spelled by our good works or our good thoughts or our good intentions, they're never going to be good enough. Our sorrow feels like death. Our sorrow feels like darkness. And Jesus is the light of the world that we are reminded of in this Advent season. That he comes in and he brings forth a beautiful joy that we so desperately long for and need. This Advent, as we light this candle of joy, we know that joy and sorrow come hand in hand. But we have a God who is with us, who is for us. And let's remember the words of the prophet Isaiah. You can put Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4 up on the screen. This is one who entered into humanity, who is acquainted with our deepest grief. What's your deepest grief? He knows it. That we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and he did not care. You might have rejected him because of the sorrow that you're carrying. You may have blamed him. You may have said things that you don't even want to tell anyone you've said. He does not care. His love for you persists. Verse 4, yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, but a punishment for his own sins. The joy that is made complete in us is from one who is well acquainted with our grief, that bears our sorrows, that knows all that we hold, that speaks into the darkness and says, joy is possible because I am here. That's Jesus. And he says, in my kingdom, there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrows. And how can he say that? Because he felt it. He lived it. He shared in it. And he says, I don't want those things for you. Joy is actually what you're made for. Joy is what I offer for you. Joy is what's possible. Joy is meant to be the companion for you that sorrow has become. Why? Because Jesus is God with us. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And life was always the intention. And so we wait. And we look forward to the day when that comes to fruition. First Peter 1 verses 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. For us this morning, if there is sorrow in your heart, know that you have a God who sees you and hears you, that doesn't want you to stay there, that feels the separation that you are experiencing and longs to be the Savior that you need. And he's asking us, would you bring your sorrow to me? Do you hear the words of the prophet Isaiah that it's our sorrows that weighed him down? That is to say, he carries them. He bears them. And I wonder this morning if we can begin to take a step of choosing joy by choosing Jesus. That when sorrow breaks in, we invite Jesus to come right along us, alongside us. It's not... It's not maybe the solution that we want exactly in the moment. 
but it is most certainly the solution we need. The healing and the freedom that we need found through Jesus and Jesus alone. So let me pray for us this morning. Father, we are in desperate need of you. Thank you that in this Advent season, we are reminded of who you are, the King of Kings, the Royal High Priest, the new Adam, the one who comes to do that which we could not do, the one who bridges the gap, who reconciles us in our relationship to the Father. I pray this morning, oh God, that you would show us where the separations in our heart are. Those gaps that make our joy incomplete. For the ways in which we've maybe spiritualized our sorrow to, to linger in that space, we ask for your helping hand of freedom. Help us to see that joy is down the path. We, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some, some time. But joy is possible. And not by our own strength, but by you. We need you, oh God. For those in the room that are carrying sorrow and it feels like death, breathe life into it. Change our, our very being. It has to be you. Thank you that you came to be with us and that we can find joy in you. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.